Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, you see him, so you know what we're talking about. Jericho Hill, economist du jour. He works at a four-letter, not a three-letter government agency in his day job, but his opinions are his and his alone, even though they're usually mostly correct. Uh, Jericho Hill, welcome back, buddy. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. And it turns out that the uh, designation of three and four-letter uh, agency actually matters because uh, some uh, Congress critters have been calling for three-letter agencies to be abolished recently. <laughs> It depends on the agency. I'm not again it in principle, but I need to see the fine print. Uh, four-letter government agencies are like golf. They're four-letter words because all the other four-letter words were taken for nefarious purposes. But Jericho Hill brings us great information. We love having him on the program. That's why he's on here so frequently. Normally, we talk economic news, but there's no economic news in the headlines. So I guess we'll just talk about sports or something, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing going on. Let's start here. I'm going to ask the dumb question because I think it needs to be asked at the lowest level for people to kind of get their arms around it. Everybody's arguing over, are we, aren't we in a recession? Everybody's arguing over what inflation is and isn't doing it. Practically, monetary policy-wise, I know politically and culturally it matters. Does whether or not we call it a recession actually matter that much? Not really. Um, what now, I, what Steve, I, you just lit the internet on fire. You can't say it doesn't matter, but I'm. that's why I ask you these hard questions. Yeah. Monetary so, so, policy, is it really changing anything? Is it just us being loud? Does it really matter whether it's certain inflation or not? Because we're going to kind of do the same principles, whether it is over or not over the line. They're going to do the same reactionary stuff, right? So what matters is how policymakers are doing to uh, respond to the pressures of the day. So uh, the analogy that I've been using for the last couple of days is this is akin to you going to the doctor's office uh, where you have, you've hurt your leg and you're pretty sure you've got a fracture and the doctors are arguing over whether it's a small fracture or a medium fracture. And in the meantime, you're on the doctor's bed and you're just like, please, dear Lord, just give me a freaking painkiller already, you know, worry about this other stuff later. So that's sort of what's going on. I think, you know, I don't think it really matters. Like everybody agrees that like we're in a weird economic cycle. That there are that there's a downturn in GDP. Is this a recession? Is it not a recession? It's sort of one of those things that I think it's being played for a political football game. But what really matters is how are policymakers responding to it. It's not going to make a hill of beans difference to the Fed, right? Whether this is called a recession or not, in terms of the Fed's policy and what they're doing with interest rates. Um, you know, and I think your your guest. Uh, uh, from a couple of days ago, Andrew Salter. Hopefully, I got his name right. Alexander um, Salter. Alexander Salter. I apologize. He's a great guest, by the way. Um, you know, there are 
I think, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing folks get confused or, or politicians are deliberately confusing. We use a rule of thumb in economics for a recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth. That's a rule of thumb. That's a proxy. That's like saying Tom Brady's on your team. You're going to win the football game. That's a really good prediction. It doesn't always work. The, the folks that actually define whether we're in a recession or not, that this group of economists, they look at more than just negative GDP growth. There's other factors like what's going on with personal consumption expenditures, consumer spending, uh, unemployment, employment, what's happening to wages, etc. So when we get into that picture, right, the rule of thumb, which works, you know, 90% of the time, doesn't really line up with what we're seeing because we've got some very positive indicators about the economy and we've got some very negative indicators on the economy. And I want to go back to my analogy. We want the doctors to stop arguing for a brief moment and just give us a painkiller. Yeah. Jericho Hill joining us, dispensing opiates for the people when it comes to economic information. I did not say opiates. Did you I see what I did killer. there? Yeah, did I said what a painkiller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why you just brought it up, let's just go ahead and go after another buzzwordy thing here. We keep, I, this is my fourth or fifth interview with you now where we talk about how the the really weird thing that's blown everybody's mind is all this economic stuff and the unemployment rate's low. That's the number that's just breaking the models. And the labor market's doing good, and like you know, workers still have a lot of bargaining power over wages. Okay, yeah. So let me ask the dumb guy question again. I asked it about the recession term. Is unemployment is the unemployment number just not mattering that much? Because if we keep having these conversations every couple of months of well, the unemployment number is low, but labor price and labor resort and labor this and labor that and wages are down and what? Does it really matter that much if we just keep having to blow over it every time we have this conversation? I think it. I think it. I think it does matter a little bit because it would impact sort of what policy prescription you want to have, and it's good to know that hey, we actually have really low unemployment. Um, and, and and there are others that would say, well, yes, but you know, there's folks that have dropped out of the labor market, uh, and that's true. We're still not back to what prime EPOP uh, employment population ratio uh, was pre-crisis. I think we still have a percentage point to go on there. Um, you know, so we still have a little bit of, of a slack there. But, yeah, I mean, so it, it matters in sort of like what policies we're going to be pursuing. But at the end of the day, you know, what I think folks are going to be more keyed on is, hey, this inflation thing's really biting at budgets. You know, let's just let's just, let's focus on what's causing the pain right now. And let's worry about the technical details later. You know, I, I just want to say, like, this isn't the great financial crisis recession where we had double digit unemployment and people dropped out of the labor market for several years or couldn't get a job. And that has all sorts of terrible effects on families and households. Here, everybody seems to be pretty much employed, but you know maybe some of their wage gains are being eaten up. And as you said, you had a great piece about what was going on with um, uh, Gen Z and their labor supply and how they were responding and how employers are actually now responding to giving Gen Z different employment opportunities, often like how they're also trying to recruit uh, working, uh, soon-to-be working moms uh, in factories, right? You know, we've talked about that previously. Yeah, and the reason I got into that Gen Z piece, we'll link back to that because I found that fascinating. I, I hate the boomer trope, but I, there's no way to get around it in this because it really, there's some data here. The boomers were complaining about the millennials not working their entry-level jobs. Well, the reason was now, come to find out, the boomers were eating all the jobs up, and they're the ones complaining about it, and now we got the data to kind of show that 
when you're an economist and you have something gener I don't what I don't even know the right term to ask. Is it generationally weird? Is it whatever term you use? When you have an outlier like that or something that hasn't really happened before, it happens once and then it stops happening because now the, yeah. the Zoomers are taking those jobs right back up like previous generations do. As an economist, what do you do with an anomaly like that? Do you study it for the future? Do you go, oh, that's an anomaly? What do you do with hindsight and economics? Because most of what y'all do that we, the public, want is projecting in the future and telling us what's coming. This seems to be something important that we probably shouldn't just brush past. We should probably talk about especially how we covered it at the time and how wrong so many people had it, right? Yeah, I think, you know, so so look, if we go back, you know, one of the causes of why, um, for lack of a better term, Zoomer or not, uh, Boomer workers stayed in the labor force uh, longer than what we would have expected from previous generations is right about the time they were starting to think about retirement, right, that first time, something called the Great Financial Crisis happened. And they had to stay in the labor market a bit more and keep, keep working so that their stock portfolios, their retirement portfolios could recover, right? Um, you know, and so, yeah, that, that, would, that, would, that would keep people, you know, that would, that would, that would keep jobs that, that would have been potential openings, you know, they would have stayed in, you know, those openings would not have been there. Um, so, yeah, we, we as economists, you know, what we try to do is we try to look at what happened in the past in, in, in scenarios and then apply those scenarios to what we think is going to happen in the future, right? And those should sort of help inform our, our future policy decisions. We saw something similar happen in the past, so maybe we should do something like that. You know, like what worked to resolve that issue in the past, we should think about doing now in the future. You know, I believe uh, in comments this morning, I call this, this seems to be more like a 2001 recession if it's a recession than a 2008 recession right where it's sort of like the 2001 was mild pretty quick you know resolved itself and this this recession here in 2008 was took a long time to unwind you know we were we're anticipating that this is this is just a this is a relatively relatively shallow or blippy kind of recession that we're seeing like to keep in mind a lot of the negative gdp in the second quarter was still the result of companies not getting their inventory situation right, which seems to be something that we keep harping on for the last several quarters in a row. Okay, so here's another question because you just brought it up. All of that is assuming that it's a blip, that everything stays the same as it is right now on the current trajectory. What's the odds that all this tinkering we're doing because of the crisis, however you want to define that, we could possibly make this worse? Because everybody acts like everything we're going to do is make it better. There's a propensity that we could actually make this worse and prolong it also, right? Well, you know, uh, so one, you know, the price of oil is relatively outside of our control. There are things we can do in the long run to uh, have more resiliency against the price of, of oil and other fuel costs and energy costs. I should be, I should just simply call that energy costs as a whole, um, which, you know, could involve some short-term spending, but, but has long-term benefits. Um, you know, how the war in Europe, you know, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, how that resolves. There's that simmering conflict that we see in Kazakhstan, you know, that, that you know, the geopolitical game being played there between Russia and China that you've also had people on to talk about. And, and I, I really appreciate that episode, by the way. Um, you know, so, yeah, we, we try to, you know, we're, we're making guesses as to, like, what we think is going to be the you know, the, what we call the shock that might happen in the future. There, there's all sorts of things that could happen. Space aliens come down tomorrow. Well, there goes all of our predictions, you know. Um, 
we could have a really bad climate disaster. We could have a bad hurricane. We could have, you know, uh, we could have civil unrest because of a police violence action or something like that. Again, we, we don't know. We could so have we, one oil refinery go down and it will sh- screw this whole country up because we haven't built one since the 70s. We, but we could have just a tank, an example. We could have a tanker get stuck in a canal again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm a logistics guy. That one hurt my soul. So, so there's there's a lot of so, yes. Those are the downside risks. And again, you know, as I thought about the the COVID crisis and what we got wrong, you know, team transitory, so to speak, or what was happening to inflation. Like, I think part of us that were on team transitory got wrong was that we just simply assumed that we are just getting hit with a string of bad luck after bad luck after bad luck of things that we just weren't expecting and they just kept happening. And they seem to always be downside risk, never upside risk, always downside. Who's they, to say that luck has changed, right? So, you know, we we sort of assume a neutral setting, but, you know, to, to be mindful that it can go up and down. Yeah, well, only having downside risk, that would, that's to an economist like a lawyer only, you know, defending innocent people. Like, yeah. you're not going to get that. That's part of the job, right? This is just kind yeah. of baked into the cake. Um, Jericho Hill joining us. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to put him on the spot. We're going to go through some economic headlines, right? Ripped from the headlines. We're going to throw him right at him, get him to react about it. We're also going to continue to talk about inflation and are we, aren't we in a recession? Cost of living. It all goes together in a nice big ball and winds up in our culture and politics. He's got to do it. Jericho Hill continues with us on her tell right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hertel. Our friend, he's an economist. He's got letters after his name. He's real smart. He's also personable, and we like him. Jericho Hill, a frequent guest here on Hertel program. We love having him. All right, buddy. Hot seat time. We're going to go through some headlines because here's the thing. I see, I've been doing this for a little while now. There's a pattern to how the economy is covered. I know we have the joke on social media about how everything is unexpectedly, right? There's a pattern to how news media and social media covers economics. So I'm just going to read through some headlines. These are all headlines from within the last 24 hours. When we record this, this is all major publications. This ain't crank stuff. Let's see your reactions to it. And let's see if we can find a couple patterns. So, in so here. none of this is from the Babylon B is what you're saying. There's no Babylon B. There's no onion. There's no, no funny business. All right. Uh, nothing from the Logan free press where this is all on the up and up. Okay. Uh, let's start CNN headline. I'm just going to read the headline. You react. The strange reason America's economy is shrinking. Um, yeah, that's not really a helpful headline. <laughs> well, maybe this one will help. Wall Street Journal, 19 hours difference here. U.S. economy still shrinking. So I guess they're keying on, um, yeah, I guess they're keying on the, on the GDP numbers. So 
Um, yeah, that, that's what they're writing about. They're just solely focused on GDP. Well, and just in case we didn't get the point yet, New York Times, exact same time frame within a couple of hours. Uh, big tech is proving resilient as the economy cools. Oh, we're not shrinking now. Now we're cooling. How does that one land with you? Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think it's more correct to say to say shrink, although I would simply, you know, I think that that word's a little charged, too. But cooling. So so the New York Times is, is, is I think, in some respects, trying to look at more than just one facet. But, you know, I, I think that that in and of itself, like also has its own particular sort of dent. you know, the other two headlines that you read to me you know, seem to be more exactly specifically focused on GDP shrunk year over year. And you're correct because New York Times goes into the tech companies slowing their hiring processes. So well yeah. spotted. Uh, here we go. Reuters, of course, major international news. Apple, the company, not the fruit, forecasters, faster sales growth, strong iPhone demand, despite glum economy. So we went from slowing to uh, cooling. Now we're glum economy. Uh, what do you think of Reuters? Uh, I would hesitate to call this a gloomy economy. Again, I, I, I see there are good aspects going on and very bad aspects. They're just trying to contrast that Apple's having unexpectedly good news, so to speak, using that lovely word, unexpectedly. Uh, NPR, U.S. economy just had a second quarter of negative growth, period. Is this a recession? Question mark. Probably the best headline out of all of them. <laughs> yeah, you like that one? Why? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it's factual. We had two quarters of negative GDP growth, and then the question is: Is this a recession? And then I'm sure the article goes into the the various caveats that go on there. But that's that's at least the correct characterization of of what is going on. Now, I wish all these that we had was like, hey, Americans are still feeling pain. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to link to these, by the way, so you can read them in your entirety if you so choose to. Okay, here we go. Washington Post, something I use a lot on this program. Uh, GDP report shows U.S. economy shrank again in the second quarter. Now, here's the interesting part of this headline, though, because of the way they do it. Here's the subheading. The latest GDP reading comes at a time of mounting worries about the economy's resilience. So there, they're focusing on uh, basically what we see from surveys uh, that shows how do people feel about this economy right now. And so, th- and I think this is an interesting point. And I, I, I'm still trying to struggle to understand why the American public is sort of feeling this way. When we do surveys of sort of economic, you know, temperature, you know, economic, you know, feelings, whatnot, today people are more gloomy and pessimistic and downrating the economy. Than during the worst part of the great financial crisis, I have a mm. hard time squaring that because, like, again, for me, you know, one, you're if you're unemployed, you know, that that's really bad. You're you're we have high inflation, so some of your earnings are being eroded. The way I try to explain this paradox is that. If you're if you're if it's an unemployment you know driven recession, which is what the Great Financial Crisis was in some respects, right, with double digit unemployment, which we never hit this time around, uh, a small minority of people are feeling a hell of a lot of the pain. And in this 
whatever this is, this downturn, I'll just call it a downturn because I think that's closer to what it is than the recession itself. Then this downturn, we don't have unemployment. Everybody's got their jobs, but everybody is feeling the pain of inflation for the most part. So maybe that explains the paradox of, of why folks are viewing this economy as worse than the great financial crisis. All right. This one's CNN International, but I love the... <laughs> Uh, somebody that runs a website, this one, I, I would absolutely just tear somebody to pieces if they sent me a subheading that was this far off the headline. Here it is, CNN International. Europe's economy surprisingly grew last quarter, easing recession fears for now, for now's in parentheses, subheading. But Germany, the region's biggest economy, stagnated in the second quarter, official data showed on Friday. Inflation continues to push higher. Doop huh? cells. Doop cells. <laughs> How's that one hit you? I, again, that's what it tells me. It's like, hey, that Europe got good news overall, but let's focus on one piece of the puzzle. And by the way, that, that Germany is a very big part of, of the European economy and rightly should be focused on because, you know, it, it sort of helps drive their ship. But yeah, it, it's sort of like, hey, we got good news, but all these other things. Like a doctor's coming to you that says, hey, your cancer just got cured, but you've got all these other things. And it's like, but my cancer got cured, right? Yeah, really. Okay, pair of headlines from Bloomberg because these are just, I just want your reaction. Uh, Yellen, that would be Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, the Honorable Janet Yellen. Yeah. Yellen says U.S. economy not seeing recession conditions now. Boy, there's a couple qualifiers in that sentence, but go ahead. What do you think? So, yeah, she is being more like the folks that actually date recessions, the folks from the National Bureau of Economic Research, where they're looking at multiple factors. So she's providing that necessary caveat, um, you know, instead of saying, well, we sort of, we're sort of, like, we're, we're not, we're not in a recession right now, but of course we still have the risk of, of, of having that if, say, the employment picture started to change, right? You've seen a bunch of articles, you even referenced some of them, the tech companies stopped hiring and and you get some of that, well, now you're seeing job postings go down. Yeah, in certain respects, but the labor market's still really tight for vast majority of folks. So we're just not seeing the labor market story being a story of recession. But again, Yellen's job is to right, be a part of team executive Biden and you know, essentially downplay the recessionary or the, the downturn risk right now. One more, because you just mentioned Biden. Uh, I find this headline insulting to my intelligence, but we'll see how it lands with you. Bloomberg headline, Biden loses bragging rights against China with U.S. economy fading. There's two bullet points under this. President had touted forecasts for U.S. to grow more than China and U.S. expansion now seen slowing as inflation takes a bite. China has its own issues right now with yet another lockdown. Yep. And who knows whether the statistics coming out of China in any way reflect the reality that's going on in China. At least with our at least with our US statistics, we have some belief, and I think a very good belief, that the data scientists producing those estimates are actually getting it right. Right? It's very transparent here. It's not so transparent over there. So yeah, I I, I react poorly to, to to that because we don't really understand the full picture of what's going on in China. And other headlines that have come out of of the Chinese economy, right? Do not paint a very good picture of what their economy is doing right now. 
funny you mention that because I got one of them right here. Uh, Forbes, uh, not a crank publication. Way to segue it. Uh, by the way, China, <laughs> some other time we'll dig into this. China has a workforce of 750 million people. Our whole country has 330 million people. Yep. You, you, got, you can't do apples to apples with China in a lot of ways, not just because of the Communist Chinese Party. It's a totally different beast than what we're doing. So you're, you're going to always look dumb doing that comparison anyway. It's also a totally different economy, right? So you think yes. about the U.S. as a service sector-based economy. We talked about that one of the last times. You, know, we were having, we, you and I were chatting. China is largely manufacturing still. Those are going to react differently to different sort of uh, different sort of world economies. Yeah. All right. Last one. Forbes. China's economy is still looking worryingly weak. Key data shows, and this is more recent than the other headline, but about the same time frame. So I just love that one. So go ahead, juxtapose those those two for me. Yeah. Well, the latter is probably more closer to the truth than the former. <laughs> Thank you for that in-depth analysis, Mister Economist. <laughs> no, it's true because. I agree with you. You can't trust the numbers coming out of China. You can't trust the Western bloviating about the numbers coming out of China. Uh, just always be very suspicious of those and numbers. We, but we know that the China, like we know that China has their zero, 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 zero COVID policy, and they still have a policy of lockdowns in various places. And I'm not getting into whether that's a good policy or a bad policy, right? I'm coming into a little. There is a cost. The U.S. Yeah. has said. We are now vaccinated enough, or we no longer care enough, whichever you want to pick, uh, that we are not going to be shutting down our ports or anything else. And it's going to be essentially business is somewhat usual. Still, you know, there's still things that are different about our economy. But, you know, we're, we're open back up, right? People are going on vacations. We don't have lockdowns anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, whether or not, you know, we're right in that policy versus China, we'll know in 10 years. Yeah, with China, you always watch their actions, not their words and not their propaganda. Their actions will tell you what they're actually doing. Don't don't read the pamphlet on the Silk Road. Watch where they're actually building stuff. You know, that kind of thing. Just watch their actions. They're not real subtle in what they do. They're they're very good at what they say, not matching that. But watch what they do because you, you can't hide it in their actions. So that's the way to handle that. Jericho Hill, great stuff today. That's fun going through the headlines. That's a little easier than going through the theory of things. Let folks know where they can follow you and what you have going on until they see you again on Hertel, which will be very soon. Well, you can always find me on Twitter at Motoconomist, and uh, essentially I'll be uh, enjoying the month of August because uh, I will uh, not only be watching my little girl turn four years old, uh, I apparently also have a birthday, and uh, just I won't disclose what my actual age is because I'm getting up there in years. <laughs> You're going to be another one of those that turns out to be younger than me. It's going to make me mad and throw things. So let's just move along. Uh, happy uh, birthday, my friend. I, I, I think you and I are actually about the same age. I hope so, because I'm, I'm running out of folks that I'm younger than. Uh, happy birthday, my friend. Your daughter is just, a, matter of fact, she was just being born when we first started um, becoming friendly. So it's kind of an interesting mile marker that she's for. It's like, holy God, I've known this guy four years already. Yeah, uh, we, you. We, We've built her first playhouse outside. So. Oh my lord! It's four, four. Once you get past, everybody says two. No, three's the worst. Four to about eight, nine, ten, depending on the kid. That's the happy spot. That's all the good years. So just enjoy it, my friend. I will um, definitely enjoy it. Yeah, Jericho Hill, you do great work. This was great. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you for having me on, Andrew. Have a good day. Anytime, sir.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.